This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Yes, indeed. Good to have you back for another edition of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com. Just under two months away from the fourth annual Smoke 'em If You Got 'em fundraiser this year again at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row. Lots of surprises coming, and we will tell you what those are next week. Next week is when I'm going to lay out everything that's going to be happening at this year's event, and you cannot miss it. Take my word for it. You want to be in the place for that one. Mark your calendars now. Sunday, May 21st, 4 p.m., Ben 77 Bistro inside of the Perkins Row facility, that big campus in South Baton Rouge. You can look it up if you don't know where it is, but you don't certainly don't want to miss this event. Uh, as we say every week, we thank you for listening to the show. Spread the word about us. You can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR or on Facebook backslash ClayYoung. And you can comment about shows there. I love the dialogue with people about some of the conversations we have here on the show. Got a good one for you today and a special guest to talk about it. And you can also email me directly, clay at podcast225.com. Hey, hit that subscribe button on iTunes to get the show. Leave us a review while you are there. That would be great. Also on podcast225.com, you can listen to the Waiting Room podcast with... Dr. Mary Catherine Rodriguez, who is recently now married again, and Katie Fetzer, soon to be Dr. Katie Fetzer. Well, she's got even bigger news, or equally as big news. She's now a mommy, and you'll have a chance to hear about that in the coming weeks. There is a new waiting room podcast up right now at podcast225.com talking about overcoming trauma. It's a really good discussion between the ladies, and I think that you will enjoy it. It is good stuff. Check it out, podcast225.com for that. And you can also hit the subscribe button on that show and get it into your inbox twice a month when The Waiting Room debuts. Okay, this week's show, our our guest on this week's show, I guess I should say, is East Baton Rouge Parish District Attorney Hiller Moore. Now... The district attorney is here with us to talk about the Justice Reinvestment Task Force here in Louisiana. Now, this is a group of officials, people who are looking at the incarceration rates in Louisiana and the amount of money spent on our prison population. And they have offered a list of suggestions and things that they believe Louisiana ought to do vis-a-vis the prison system and that they believe it will save Louisiana some money. They're saying they can cut some of the cost to taxpayers by instituting some of the changes that they are releasing. They recently released their report. The district attorney is in Manny, Louisiana, M-A-N-Y, Manny, Louisiana, as a part of a conference with the District Attorneys Association here in Louisiana. And they are planning their rebuttal to this task force finding. The Department of Corrections Secretary, Jimmy LeBlanc, uh, who chairs the task force, 
has some ideas about what Louisiana ought to be doing. It's it's just it's it's an interesting thing because of the number of people incarcerated in Louisiana. The district attorney is not exactly bowled over by some of the statistical data that has been used by the task force. So you'll get a chance to hear from him. He's calling into the podcast 225 Studio in just a moment, and we're going to talk about the Justice Reinvestment Task Force, the Justice Reinvestment Task Force after a quick break here on the Clay Young Show back in just a moment. This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consultant. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at openeyesafetytraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. Clay Young here with David Day with the Day Group talking about the 2017 LeaderCast event presented by Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge. Here's the deal, Clay. If I told you that you could go to a world-class conference, it's, mm. it's actually the world's largest one-day leadership conference, and you could hear world-class speakers, mm-hmm. we'd feed you breakfast, lunch, and give you all your materials. Wow. The program starts at 8, it ends at 3, and you didn't have to leave home. What would you say to that? Yes, please. Yeah, that's what we're doing. That's LeaderCast 2017 sponsored Where by. is it? It's at the Brown Holt Auditorium at the campus of the Dunham School. And it features Tyler Perry, Daniel Pink, Susie Welch, and a host of other amazing speakers. You just don't want to miss that. And you were going to say it's sponsored by Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge. Sponsored by Mercedes-Benz. And that's world-class I mean, stuff there. And man. let's tell them again when and where. Okay, May 5th. Coming up soon, May 5th, so hurry up and get your tickets. Go to LeaderCastBR.com. It's at the Brown Holt Auditorium right here in Baton Rouge, May 5th, LeaderCastBR.com. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back with EBR District Attorney Hiller Moore, and the DA has been very, very busy as of late. And before we get to some of what's going on here with the climate with law enforcement, uh, District Attorney Hiller Moore, how are you, bud? Doing good. How you doing, Clay? I'm doing well. Let's talk about this justice or this uh, justice reinvestment act that's happening that was created by House Concurrent Re- uh, Resolution 82 back in 2015. Yeah. What exactly is it? Actually, uh, Clay, there's not a, a act yet. This is now a, a was a task force. Okay. That was set up by legislation to look at uh, over incarceration. And the task force has met for a little bit over a year, and I believe just a week or two ago, okay. issued their report on what their findings were. And uh, now that it eventually will turn into some type of legislation, and the big question is whether it's one bill or several separate bills. And uh, right now, uh, in fact, uh, I'm in Manny, Louisiana, meeting with all of the elected DAs to go over the task force recommendations. And for the District Attorneys Association to come up with a position on each and every one of the different uh, proposals. Well, some of the goals of or the main goal of, of this task force was to reduce 
the population in prisons, right? That's correct. And but you know, it's, it started. It starts on the premise that Louisiana locks up too many nonviolent offenders, more so than any other state. And that's from uh, some data that this four task force received from Pew. From day one, from the beginning, uh, we as DAs have in- indicated to them that that's not the case. That that's a false narrative. That the people that they're considering as nonviolent are actually either not nonviolent uh, or have been arrested for many charges and convicted before and or have returned to prison because they were given probation and were either revoked on probation for doing something wrong or for receiving another arrest or another conviction. And what, when I say that uh, they're not non, they're, they are not nonviolent, for example, they may be entering the Department of Corrections for a possession of drugs or a burglary charge, which is a, by classification, by statute, classified as nonviolent. However, they may have uh, undertaken some violent activity and were allowed to plead to possession of felony possession of drugs, and maybe they had a gun. And, mm-hmm. and so the fact that we have given them the break and allow them to plead and even be put on probation for the most part, and then only to reoffend and go back to jail, it's kind of disingenuous. Yeah, and, and, and this narrative has been going on for a little while, and, and one of the arguments made is that someone who is a first-time offender who may have been arrested for having a bag of marijuana may end up going to prison for a very long time for a crime that only yeah. damaged the person using the drugs and not anybody else. Yeah, and look, you, you know, I, I guarantee you, Clay, that you could probably find some egregious case somewhere in Louisiana over years where somebody has gone to jail for a first offense possession of marijuana. Uh, I think you're going to struggle to find that in Baton Rouge unless there's some really bad history or you're trying to get someone treatment at the, uh, at the request of parents. That just doesn't happen. And, you know, we, the DA's association has agreed to sentencing reductions for possession of marijuana. Uh, along with 38, I think, other so-called smart-on-crimes positions that they've taken over the years. So, you know, our goal, surely, with possessions of marijuana, unless you continue to be repeat offenders, is to divert you and get you as much help as we can and not to send you to prison for anything. And, as you know, the sentences, the penalties for possession of mar- marijuana have been significantly reduced. One of the recommendations made by the task force, and I'm going to read directly from it here, is consolidating eligibility for parole by class and prior offense, eliminating individual statutory restrictions on parole offenses, excluding those in class F. Um, Say that to us in English, (laughs) layman's terms. (laughs) I wish I could, but that's that what you just read fits in with what's called the felony class system, which is the first proposal that the task force has recommended. And what they're, what they're trying to do is get in line with other states. We have felony class classifications, and they'll list you know, murder all the way down to possession of marijuana, and we'll say which crimes are presumptive probation, uh, which crimes are no longer any mandatory minimum, regardless of how many times you are arrested or convicted, such as burglary, in the recommended part, you could, under this scenario, you could be arrested, charged, convicted of burglary 50 times, and there's no mandatory minimum for that. So there's like, 
if we pass the felony class system, which I think is something good that we can work on, you're going to have to amend at least 550 statutes wow. just to pass that felony system. We've worked on it uh, as an assistant DA's board and kind of got frustrated after five hours. We'd go back after it again to try to see how we can maybe make that work. But the part that you read, there's a lot of provisions in the different statutes that prohibit folks from being parole eligible. And that is something that, that, that the DAs can also work on because as DAs, we want when someone does come out of jail, mm-hmm. we want them to be able to be successful and not have any restrictions, uh, depending on the crime, uh, not have any restrictions that would keep them from obtaining a license, a job, trick card. And again, it depends on the crime. But we do have a lot of cleanup work that we could do. And that's one of the things that I believe that the DAs uh, can agree with, uh, with this, these recommendations on. Well, one of the things that someone who has been incarcerated runs into is the stigma that it carries. And most business owners or managers of business, even though they they probably may believe in the virtue of second chances, are unsure about giving an opportunity to someone uh, to work in their place, depending on what the crime is. I don't know that there's anything you can do to legislate a change in attitude there for people who are worried about the safety of themselves and their people, right? That's true, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, Clay, you know, you probably have done a lot of talk to business owners. Sure. And they beg, they're they begging for people to come to work, yeah. and they will take second chances on people. But, yeah. I mean, we found that just a lot of the people that are on probation, a lot of folks we deal with are not working and just really make little or no effort to, mm. to get a job. And, you know, one of the things that the recidivism, uh, when these folks come out of jail, they are generally on probation of some a parole of some type. And right now, the, the, I mean, you know, Jimmy LeBlanc has done a great job with Department of Corrections, all mm-hmm. those folks working hard. He, he's been cut $180 million since 2007. Right now, each one of his parole officers handle 150 clients. I mean, just imagine folks who are uh, in a really tough position. You have one supervisor supervising those guys to make sure they don't reoffend. Just think if you had a supervised 150 of your closest friends or family members, just your own children, what kind of job could you do helping your own kids? Yeah. And then equate that now some parolee uh, that doesn't have a lot of help and support. I mean, the, we, we, are, we are struggling. The Department of Corrections continues to get cut. Uh, this this uh, summary, they ask more drug court and more alternatives. However, drug court gets cut. We need to really focus on What's going on? And this is what our big difference is. So they are, people ask, why is Louisiana car- incarcerate more? You know, uh, is our crime rate similar to southern states? Yes. What sets us apart is that we have absolutely little or no infrastructure to help people like just regular offenders or DAs or judges to like all other southern states, Mississippi, including Texas, Alabama, yeah. to where you can send somebody for help and for supervision prior to going to jail or instead of going to jail or prison. But we are woefully inadequate. And just yesterday, Jimmy LeBlanc showed a a graph. Even in our own region where we live, in Baton Rouge, the state capital, the rank was from zero to six. We were at a level of zero to one on what types of services we provide for folks that are struggling and that we see come across our desk and eventually wind up in jail. So 
we really need to invest a lot of money. For DAs, we are scared of the term reinvestment. Yeah. We have seen that not happen before with the Missouri model, playing the juvenile model. And money is fungible. And we, we're just afraid that the money will not be reinvested if the money is saved over a 10-year period of time. And the, the goal is to uh, release, I think, around 4,800 folks over a 10-year period of time due to the legislation, you know, not people being released all at one time. Texas, on the other hand, pre-invested $440 million and set all of their things in place before doing a release or retroactive release. And this, this report started off as a nonviolent offender report, but as you can see at the end of the report, at page 56, it then goes into, let's now try to release murderers and those who are serving violent offenders after serving 20 years or 30 years, Yeah, which, uh, which is something that I believe is outside of the task force uh, goal or charge, uh, but they're there. And I don't and think the public, the I don't think the public is going to be in favor of that either. No, I don't, I don't think the public really knows the details of and they can't. And I think a lot of the uh, business uh, and industry folks that are behind it uh, are well-intended. And look, we agree with a lot of positions here. But right now, the devil in this is in the details. And what's practical, what's the practical effect of the different, the legislation that will come? We need to explain, do a good job, a better job of explaining to these good folks is this is the practical effect if you pass this. Again, I really think that there are things that we can work with, even on some violent offenders that have been in jail for a long time, some medical release uh, provisions. Uh, Jimmy LeBlanc indicated that there's one prisoner who costs the state one, over $1 million a year due to some health concerns. Jeez. There are things like that that, that we can probably work on, but we are scared to death of the public safety, what may happen to those violent offenders that we place in jail, uh, and what's going to really happen with the reinvestment. And we take these people, and the governor is a good man, we take him at his word, And but things happen. Things happen generally with money. And Clay, the scary part is that there's really no way in any legislation to tie the hands of the legislature to make sure that if there is a savings, and when that savings is going to come, we don't know. But in the meantime, if this passes, you'll be having a lot more people out on probation or parole with little supervision and these guys being overworked until you can actually possibly see some savings, but you cannot bind the legislature's hands, yeah. and they know that. So, even if you did, if you reinvested, they could take money away on the back end. They gave it to you in the front end. But, but I, I don't anticipate that. I hope that's not the case, and it's surely the legislature I've spoken with, that's not their goal, but we know things change. Well, one of the things that you, the, the report talks about is reducing the number of incarcerated people by about 4,800 in 10 years. And Correct. So for someone who hears that and they hear nearly 5,000 people are going to, you're going to reduce, A, define what reduction means, and B, what kinds of people are we talking about? Well, if you, you know, unfortunately, uh, you'd have to read over 60 pages of the report. So it's uh, they want to first stop folks from going to prison, which we, we agree with. Um, but right now, it's Clay, 59% of the people that are being their admissions to prison 
of those who have failed on probation or parole. They're returning because we gave them a chance in, on probation, and they didn't survive. They had a reoffended, and then 41% are, are new arrests of people that are going in. So we really need to look at that uh, stat. That's a big number of those that are coming back. So first, they want to stop folks from coming in, but secondly, they like to make retroactive some reductions in time calculations, not only for nonviolent offenders, but for violent offenders. For example, murderers in, in Louisiana, life is life. Yeah. This uh, new provisions are on the additions to the task force, which suggests that if the law passed, if you receive a life sentence, that after reaching the age of 50 and serving 30 years, you would then be parole eligible and the governor can commute your sentence. And then on nonviolent offenders, I believe that it's if you serve 20 years and or 45, you're then eligible to be released. So that would be a really shock to Louisiana, be really something that we have never done ever. And to be honest, other states do have similar provisions for lifers, where Louisiana actually life is life. And, you know, how murder victims' families are going to take this uh, is something to be seen. Uh, I know I've had many discussions, unfortunately, over nine years, and they, people want to be guaranteed that their killer, their family member, uh, is incarcerated. And this will, this provision, uh, they're asking for this to be retroactive. Um, so that's something that we're going to really have to take a look at. And people are really not aware of a lot of these provisions at this point. And releasing these folks would probably save a lot of money. Yeah, but I mean, uh, but when, but I get it. But when you think about see, the, one of the frustrating things is, is you're absolutely right. It, it, it would save money. However, for someone who has lost a loved one to murder, OK, or who, who has had who has suffered through years of, say, sexual assault, they don't want to hear the legislature talking about saving money in terms of letting these people out onto the streets and to me, I get where you're coming from with nonviolent offenders, but at what point do we cross a line here? Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I don't agree with the nonviolent. We disagree with the few findings on who is a non who is a nonviolent offender. But look, take take this example. Let's say um, there's a murder in your neighborhood. You know, murderers just disrupt the entire neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And in nowadays. Murderers and friends then go back and disrupt others by shooting up witnesses' houses, intimidating witnesses. We have a really difficult time of first making arrests on homicides, secondly then convicting them. Once we convict them, it then they're on appeal for 20 years. So now with this change in law, if they just do their time, and don't you have to be good at what they're doing in jail, they just wait their 30 years and turn 50. What the hell? Why, so why would anyone plead guilty to anything, particularly a homicide? Because right. I'm going to roll my dice to dice because I'm just going to take the chance. First, I may not get arrested. Second, I may not get convicted. If I do, it's no longer life. I can do this. Um, that That's some of the things that we just have to take a look at. Do you see the I, – I, I see both sides of the argument that people make. I know where I stand on it, but I can I can understand both sides of it. When one aspect of the recommendation deals with unifying the definition of sex offense, and I'll read it, it says, for the purpose of parole consideration to ensure that these inmates only become eligible for discretionary parole considerations after 75% of their prison sentence 
has been served. Unifying the definition of sex offense. Can you explain what they mean by that or what the report means by that? Okay, I really haven't uh, delved into that a whole lot, but it's generally, for, depending on the sex offense, there's different types of penalties and parole restrictions. So I think that they're, they want to unify the parole restrictions on that. And uh, over the past years, whenever the legislature wants to try to help or reduce incarceration, the, the uh, class of people that are always left out or any, anybody having anything to do with a sex offense. So I think they're just trying to make that more unified um, uh, in that regard. And, you know, uh, Clay, one of the other issues that we have in the state of Louisiana is that most of our state uh, prisoners are housed in local jails. Mm-hmm. And depending on the local jail, uh, what type of services is that state prisoner getting in a local jail? You know, fortunately, in Baton Rouge, Sheriff Gotra has a lot of self-help programs where he does do a lot for prisoners. But when you send the prisoner out of, out of town, and Baton Rouge sends people out of town to the tune of $10 million a year because we don't have enough to hold them here, enough space, space to hold them here, what type of services are they getting? The answer is, you know, little and they're getting none from the state because they're not housed in a state facility. So that's another issue that the state has to look at. What are we doing for prisoners? How are we really correcting prisoners? And what are we doing to correct prisoners? And Jimmy LeBlanc does have a plan for that. And that again, something that we as DAs are going to look at and um, see how that will work out. You know, one of the things that the report talks about is that first year after someone who is released or gets out of prison deals with and and you guys make recommendations or it talks about recommendations on things like them getting food stamps uh maybe suspending child support payments uh, you know getting them into transitional work programs something to try to help them ease back into the regular rhythm of life outside of prison talk a little bit about how y'all came to that conclusion and what you think the outcome of that will be. Well, actually that, that was the test force's conclusion, not ours. Yeah. However, yeah. we see that we do see mm-hmm. that folks that are coming out of jail, uh, at least up to this point, really uh, have not been given a risk needs assessment to find out what are your risk of reoffending or coming back? Or what do you, what are the needs? What do you need? Do you need a driver's license, a Twit card? Tell me uh, how much child support you owe. Because when that guy has all of that on top of his head and trying to trying to get back into the swing of things, um, it's tough. So what the legislation seeks to do is to possibly, while in jail, suspend uh, the accrual of any uh, child support or any penalties associated with tickets that have not been paid, uh, not do away with them, just suspend them, then work out a plan with this offender so that he can get a driver's license, he can get a TWIC card, and get back to work, and he can come up with a $20 a month, $50 a month payment to where he can stay on target. And uh, that's a, recidivism is a, is a big deal. Yeah. And those that recidivate the most, Clay, are the ones that are coming out of uh, parish jails. It's I think it's 55% within five years. Those that come out of state jails are 40%. And those that are successful in the first year, uh, their recidivism rate is 20 percent over five years. So there's a lot to be said. And uh, Mr. LeBlanc has instituted the, the TIGER assessment tool. And those folks that are in state facilities, remember, not parish, they're going to be given this 
risk needs assessment so that they can, uh, the probation or parole officer can do a better job of assessing their risk and their needs. Because we're told that the first 11 days of a parolee's life will dictate his recidivism rate. We're also told that uh, the visitation by family members uh, during the incarceration of a, a defendant makes a, a big difference in whether they're going to recidivate or sure. not. So a lot of studies going on, a lot of good things. Yeah. So, you know, again, bottom line is we do oppose many things here, yep. many of the theories. However, we're going to work because we want, we want to have the best system we can have. And, you know, government's not going to be the whole answer to this. It has to be people, it has to be neighborhoods and communities. Well, we can we can do our part, but it has to come from the neighbors. Well, and, and you're right, and and, and it, I'm, I'm sorry about that mistake. That that was from the task force and not directly from the the DA's association or you guys. And and I've seen articles where district attorneys, even Pete Adams, who's the the ED of the Louisiana District Attorneys Association, talked about concerns with this. And this is this is I'll like to ask this question directly. If it's not something you want to deal with, I understand. Do you think that this task force and the intention of it was too political for it to become realistic in its entirety? No, no, I mean, I, I don't think that it was too political. I think this is this is really going on around the country. And this is uh, maybe a second or third attempt to try to do things like this. I do not think that the board was as um, maybe even as uh, DAs uh, would like it. Uh, however, they're well-intended people, but uh, we had one DA on the board, one sheriff, and all the rest were uh, from other walks of life, uh, right. obviously the public defenders, judges, but we were surely uh, not in the majority on, on the board. And, but we understand, and uh, Bo Dewey, uh, the uh, district attorney who represented us, did a great job, and he made our points clear, and now we just need to really take the message and let folks know what our positions are. And Clay, we're here uh, for three days just going over this report, which is which is long, so that we as DAs know know exactly what is being proposed and what is our position and what's the practical effects of what they propose and what we we would propose. I think our goal, for the most part, is the same. Surely, we'd like to reduce incarceration. It helps. Uh, money it helps the state, uh, but we need to do it correctly. We need to rather pre-invest than waiting on a reinvestment. But uh, we're going to work. We, we we promised we would try to work uh, our way with this task force. We're going to, yeah. And there's some things that we disagree on. You know, you hear the argument a whole lot about the the number of minorities who are incarcerated and the the impact it has on families and communities. And all of that. I, I like what you're saying about a pre-investment. I, I mean, I think there's a there, there's a list of things that can go into helping people not become a statistic as it relates to incarceration. One would be a good family structure. Another would be an education. Uh, I, I mean, there are just so many things that that can go into investing into our children before they become a felon or, or someone who's been incarcerated. And I often don't hear enough about that when we're talking about yeah. what our what our prison systems look like. Is that a fair statement? No, no doubt. You and I have had this conversation many times. Clay, it starts uh, in the womb. It starts with a parent or parents, hopefully. Following that, it starts with neighbors and family and neighborhoods and communities. And 
Look, I mean, look at our state. There's no, you're not shaking your head as to know why are we in the position we're in. Look at historical racial issues. Look at poverty, education issues. And then from there, go to mental health. And, you know, what are we doing as a state to really take care of folks with mental health issues, with drug alcohol issues? We have very little resource. We have very little outreach compared to those other states next to us, even Mississippi and Alabama. We should not be in that position we are. It's, it's taken us years to get in the bad position we're in. We're really going to have to uh, grab our boots and work our way out of it. But just to, to start with one uh, legislation, one piece of legislation, and let everybody out retroactively without really having a detailed plan and knowing that the money's coming is scary to us. We want to help these people. We do not want anyone coming back to jail. We don't want anyone being re-victimized again. Uh, but we need to do a better job with our kids starting early on. So don't they don't come into the prison pipeline early. We need in the them, first place, right? Correct. Well, you know, it's it's. I know that. Uh, do y'all plan on a counter report or some counter uh, proposal to yeah. this task force uh, finding? Yeah, right. We have worked on diligently a the Louisiana DA Association position paper. And we're in the process of working on that, but there's so much detail to it. Uh, and getting 42 DAs together from around the state is difficult. So that's what we're doing here today and tomorrow. And we will eventually publish some general points as to practicalities of what we see. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get that message out to everyone to make so people can make an informed decision so they can let the legislators know what they feel. And legislators have to know really what's in this package because this is a lot for them to swallow. It is. I mean, I, I have the, the full thing here. And, you know, one of the things that I'll say is I know that you and I agree on investing into our young men before they become statistics. And I've seen the work that you've done, the effort you've put in through programs like Brave, how you volunteer to speak to guys. I mean, I've, I've supported you in it, not just on shows, but, but come and spoken to these young men. And I think that's where the lion's share of our investment ought to be. In these kids, specifically young black men, because they make up such a large population, a large majority of of the prison system, investing in them and catching them before they fall to the other side of the line. I really would love to see more people run to that aspect of this. Clay, I mean, you're right, exactly. And Clay, just think about the juveniles who are returning from detention and the adults who are returning from prison. Where, Where are they returning to and what are they returning with? Right. Exactly the same place. And so we also have to work and help those communities where they're returning to to give them more avenues of success. Otherwise, we're, we're doing the same thing all over again. We just yep. have possibly releasing some folks without help. You know, I want to ask you about this as, as we come to a close. You know, two weekends ago, we, we saw another officer in Baton Rouge uh, shot a sheriff's deputy, and and I'm not going to ask you about the the process of what's going on there because I know that's that's ongoing. But the climate for law enforcement now, I think one thing that's positive is 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 there is more dialogue in certain areas, but the other thing is just the volatile nature of some in the community against law enforcement. That is concerning because poorer communities, especially need law enforcement and law enforcement really depends on the the people in poorer communities who are willing to stand up and speak up and it's a shame about what's happening now isn't it 
Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's a scary time. You know, don't really know if, if you're wearing a uniform, who out there just despises uniform and for whatever their reasons are. And I would suggest that a lot of it is uh, mental health reasons that we've seen, as you've seen from our end-of-the-year officer-involved shooting report, a lot of them related to domestic violence instances. But around the country, uh, you know, it's scary to think that you send your son or daughter, whether black or white, or whatever the nationality or persuasion is, out there in uniform and people that just want to kill with impunity. But So it's a difficult time. It's a time, I think, that everybody has to really sit back and reflect and do, you know, think about where we are, do a better job of reaching out to each other. But, you know, you can have bad actors out here. And how do you protect yourself against some bad actors? Uh, that's, a, that's difficult to, uh, to identify. Uh, but it is a, it's a difficult climate, and I think that, I think that we're going to get better for it. Uh, and, but in the meantime, we're going to have to handle the situations that we have. And, you know, Baton Rouge will be in for more uh, situations to come, I'm sure. And um, I think that hopefully everyone is going to be prepared for it. Everybody will stop any false narrative that's ever uh, spoken. Yeah. And people will stand up for whatever's true and right, regardless of the side, the color, the issue. And that's where we need to be. We need to stand strong uh, together for what's right and not sh- not any particular narrative. I agree with you. And, and finally here, I, I listen, I join with you in hoping that we can keep Walt Green or at least get him back here as U.S. attorney uh, in this area. Walt's a, yep. Walt's a fine man. He's an upstanding guy. And I, I think that he's been very invested in this community. So I'm hoping that he gets another bite at the apple. Yeah, you know, uh, when we when I heard from Walt that that happened, I just thought with the respect that I had and all the DAs and sheriffs had for him that we should at least let the president and the attorney general know over the weekend uh, what we thought about this man. He runs a great office, Clay. If, he's, if he does not return, Corey Evanson is the uh, now the acting United States attorney. He's been there right with him all the way. He's a very good uh, person we have in place. Uh, Walt has just been a champion uh, he's been a true hero for us and uh, surely going to miss him. Well, listen, you guys keep up the hard work. I appreciate personally all that you're doing in this community, Hillary. And, and you know, everybody feels the same way. And uh, we, we're glad to have you on. When, when y'all are set to release your response to the task force report, I'd love to have you back to talk about it. We will, but uh, right now we're just uh, kind of fighting and spitting at each other and <laughs> trying to figure out from north to south, west to east, you know, how, how can we come to some consensus on these very serious proposals? So it's going to take us a while. We've been working at it for a month and a half now. Well, and, uh, it's a work in progress. It's not, sure y- we'll be in touch. Y'all are not going to run into too many distractions over there in the metropolis of uh, Manny, Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> well, well, Hiller, I appreciate it, my friend. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550.
This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue. And I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107 three mobile apps. This is the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Certainly a to be continued on this Justice Reinvestment Task Force. We'll get the DA on once the response to this has been created. We'll get him back to talk about that. All right, again, we want to remind you to mark your calendars for Sunday, May 21st. The Smoke em If You Got Em 2017 edition, this year again benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, live auction, live music, and so much more. We'll be telling you what that so much more is on next week's show. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We appreciate District Attorney Hiller Moore being on the show and talking with us about this very important matter. And as I said earlier, to be continued on that subject. Have a great one. Don't forget to check out the Waiting Room Podcast while you're at podcast225.com. And I'll see you next week here on The Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.